You're listening to From the Field, a podcast helping ministry leaders think differently, thrive personally, and lead thoughtfully. Welcome to From the Field. My name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. My name is Tyler Dravitz. I'm the executive pastor at Ridgeline Church, and I also lead a company called MyXP, where we provide remote executive pastor support to churches around the country. Learn more at myxp.church. All right, let's get right into this, okay? All right, do it. Question of the day. Uh Uh-huh. If you had to, we're going to get into more serious stuff in a minute. Mm -hmm. I just feel like let's let's get into the, the light stuff first. We did a lot of crying last week. Yeah. There was a lot. Mm-hmm. Some listeners cried. Mm-hmm. I heard that as well. Yeah. Somebody so, had to reapply their makeup. Your, yeah, that was me. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's no big secret. Your favorite, probably your favorite show of all time is The Office. Top I, three, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. Based on the fact that you've watched it 40 plus times. The entire series. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if it's not in your top three, that's insane. <laughs> But so here's a really hard. This is really bored. This is a tough question. Uh-huh. If you had to remove one cast member from the office, who would it be? I'm gonna give you one better. I'm gonna remove two in a whole storyline. Wow. Yeah. In general, mm-hmm. I don't care at all about Andy. And really, the Andy Aaron thing where he like goes to Florida and like mm. to get her, and they end up together, and then not together, and like. Aaron in general, that whole thing, and like Pam's the office manager, they should have just like bumped Aaron, put Pam back at her desk, and call it good. I and like the Andy with his and all of that, like it just <laughs> give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. <laughs> it, he just was such a cartoon <laughs> that I can't. Uh, I, so I I forgot about Aaron for me. So I'm with you on Aaron. I'd mm-hmm. forgotten about her. We're so we're watching it with Ava, yeah, and I think we're in season three. Yeah, so we're not. Andy's there, but Aaron's not there yet. Yeah, she's not there for a while. Pretty, I like her in other stuff. Her character on that show is painfully annoying. Yeah. So I would agree with you on that. Andy, I I don't I couldn't get rid of him. Oh man. Really? Just dude, think about think about like one of the best pranks that Jim does is when he throws his phone up in the ceiling, which is what leads him to punch a hole. Like that's never had to know about Andy. I could do without that prank. All right. Mine would be Phyllis. <laughs> I just kind of like, mm. I mean, she's a, she's, she's like, she's OG. She's there yeah. from the very yeah, beginning. That's fair. She plays a role for sure. Yep. I just feel like there's not too many, like I will say her wedding episode where Michael tries to walk her down the aisle mm-hmm. and then drags the wheelchair <laughs> down yeah. the aisle. That's a fabulous episode. But I was just trying to think of like original cast. If I had to get rid of one person and the episode where she listens to 50 shades of gray at the <laughs> office. Well, I don't remember oh, that man. one. I can't give any more descriptions, but yeah, at some, at one point she gets a whole bucket of ice water tossed on her <laughs> by Dwight. Oh my goodness. That so, show is so great. Anyway, it is a good show. Also, I don't care about Karen at all. I like that. I like, I like her. Her. Yeah. She's awesome on Parks and Rec. Yeah. But. Yeah. And like, I was always a big 
Pam and Jim fan. I mean, mm-hmm. who wasn't? Yeah. And she like got she up in there for a little yeah. bit. Mm. Yeah. Well, I like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Transitioning. <clears throat> so we're having and scene and yeah. Is anybody else? I feel like you just want to kill everyone off of this show. I like Jim and Pam a lot. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and Dwight. So if there's a spinoff, it's just the and three Creed, of them. he's the best. I thought you were going to say him. I was really worried. Mm-mm, no way. He's way too great. I just saw, I, we haven't gotten to this yep. as we're rewatching it yet, but I just saw a clip of the Halloween episode where three of them come in dressed as Joker, <laughs> and he comes in as like the Heath Ledger Joker, <laughs> and he's legitimately horrifying. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> Probably my all-time favorite office scene mm-hmm. is when Toby is teaching self-defense and he like he like writes on the thing he's like he's like um scream Uh hit and run yeah and and toby's like so let's let's give this a try and even though everyone's seated he jumps up he goes yip smacks meredith on the back of the head so loud you can hear it and then runs out of the room i like every i could watch that on repeat i would Die of laughter. Oh, it's so funny. All right. Let's go. So we are uh, having a series of conversations about creating emotionally safe spaces. Mm -hmm. Uh, We kicked it off last week, really talking about why we care about this topic so much. Probably as much, if not more, than anything we've really talked about in 80 plus episodes. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that for us, it's super personal and flows out of our own journeys. And uh, so if you missed last week, I'd really encourage you to go back and to listen to that. But this week, we really want to begin shifting into some of the practical aspects that have been critical for us to do what we can to make Ridgeline an emotionally safe place for people and a welcoming place of all emotions, not just the comfortable ones. And so this week we're going to talk about, as is often the case, that that this really starts with the leaders, that leaders Mm -hmm. have to go first in this. And so we've got a handful of things as we've thought about and reflected on the way some of this has been like intentional things that we did in order to foster this. Some of this has just been things that we've done and by God's grace, it's helped create an emotionally safe space. Mm -hmm. But the first is, um, uh, and I really do think this is the place to start is you really, if as a leader need to get your own help and you need to do your own work. Yeah. Um, I have, I was thinking about this today. I don't, there's never been a time in my life when I've been, like one of those Christians that's, or people that's anti-therapy or thinks that like people who get counseling are weak and that therapy's a crutch. I've never, ever thought that. Mm -hmm. I've always been very pro counseling and therapy. And I think since I've been pastoring, have always really encouraged it publicly, like even in sermons and stuff, like if you're struggling, get help. And, and some people have responded to that and said, okay, but it was very, it was very, very marked difference when I started to share openly about being in therapy, yeah. how much it, um, how many people then either came and asked me like, Hey, I, I need to get therapy too. Where should I go? How should I do that? Or just took the step on their own. And, and sought that out. And then I heard, like heard through the grapevine that people were getting help, but mm-hmm. it has been like, there is a real marked difference from the, I remember the first Sunday that I talked about it publicly and why and how it had been for me. And then there was this like immediate wave 
that has really continued of people being willing to seek out and get help on their own. Yeah. And I do think it made a tremendous difference that I wasn't just saying, Hey, it's okay to get therapy, but I'm getting it. Yeah. I'm doing my own work. I need this help. Sure. That seemed to give people even more permission to go and to seek that out on their own. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's the first thing is I would really encourage you if you, you are not getting your own help doing your own work, then that's definitely the place to start. Yeah. I think number two is practice appropriate disclosure. Uh, and so I think, uh, recognizing, you know, I think, uh, the operative word there is appropriate disclosure. Mm -hmm. I think just getting up and sharing all things about everything to do with your life is not necessarily Mm -hmm. appropriate disclosure. I think you have to uh, know the setting and the context and all of that, but, but being willing to open up about your own struggles, uh, being willing to talk about the things that, uh, you deal with. I know, uh, it's something that you regularly do in teaching. One of the things that I've always appreciated about you. I think you do it more so now, but mm-hmm. have always done the willingness to share like, yeah, and this is really hard for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think even even recently I had a conversation with someone who goes to our church and was willing to share some of the struggles I've had in my relationship with God. And, and it was one of the more meaningful exchanges we had because it created a safe place for them to say, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with some of that same stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, where in the past, like I was aware because I pay attention that that was true, mm-hmm. but also that wasn't something that we had, uh, the ability to talk about. It yeah. wasn't something that they had trusted me with. And so mm-hmm. I think, uh, just opening up about your own struggles and then also, um, you know, finding appropriate ways to make the help you're getting common knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, it's something that you talk about pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, you know. I try to find, like, I think from the preaching, I want to come back to what you just oh, yeah. said a second ago. Sure. But oh. while we're on this topic, let me let me just say, like, one of the ways that I think that you can do that as a, as a preacher teacher is I, when I can, like in an illustration or something like that, I try to find a way to say things like, Uh, This week I was talking to my therapist about, you know, whatever might be pertinent to what we're talking about. Yeah. And and I'm not going into like all of the details about (laughs) it, but, but it's just a way to keep front of mind for people. Wow. Our leaders are getting help. Yeah. And if our leaders need help, it's got to be okay for us to need help. Totally. Right. Yeah. And it, it does sort of remove the stigma and stuff as well. Just like the more it's talked about, the more it's communicated about, the more people feel like, all right, so maybe like like you almost feel like the odd man out mm-hmm. by not wondering if this is something that you should pursue yeah i think i think a great exa- like real time example for people who listen to this podcast of appropriate disclosure is to go back to our conversation last week yeah absolutely and the way that particularly the way that you were willing to open up about your experience in childhood mm. like there would have been first of all the i think that the timing and the context in which you opened up about that was an appropriate place to do it. Sure. Um, I also, I can't remember if we talked about this last week. That's also that I'm aware of the first time you've ever talked about that publicly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, I was just at therapy myself. So here's my appropriate disclosure. Literally. Yeah. Um, and I shared with him, I was like prior to the podcast Mm -hmm. and I counted, I'm pretty sure it was five people Mm -hmm. on the planet Mm -hmm. who knew, Um, and how there are more. (laughs) Yeah. But I think two things, like for one, the context in which you talked about it on here was appropriate. And then the level of detail that you went into was appropriate. Totally. It doesn't like there, there, we've probably all met people that 
are super pro disclosure and don't understand the appropriate piece. Sure. And you're just like, I feel really uncomfortable <laughs> with the level of detail that I'm yeah. being shared right now. Yep. And, and I think like, so obviously the difference between pulpit and private, like there's, there's a lot that's just different. Like yeah. what is appropriate in those two settings is very different. It is never, the pulpit is never meant to be your personal confessional yeah. for you to go in, but for you to hide behind it and to never be transparent about your struggles, I I would say is, is an equal failure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just like the appropriate part it, to me is not just about like the details that you share, mm-hmm. but also like to your point, the setting mm-hmm. and, 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 and because I think sometimes uh, when people share, you also have those people who like, like as you see them coming, it doesn't matter what is happening. You're like, this is going to come up. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of is, uh, I was even just talking with my therapist about, uh, you know, and, and some of those kind of um, areas that like help you work through some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you start by saying, whether it be celebrate recovery or mm-hmm. AA, you, you start off by like marking yourself by your experience. Hi, my name is whatever. Mm-hmm. And I deal I with this, this or yeah. I am that. And I've, that's never been something that I've felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the other part of appropriate is recognizing like not everywhere is the place to go into it yeah. because that also doesn't make people feel super comfortable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say if you're, if you're constantly vomiting this on people all the time, maybe you need to get a therapist Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that you have an appropriate place sure. to be able to be talking about some of these things in more detail. Totally. Uh, a third would be to really work to normalize emotional struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say at least at Ridgeline, <clears throat> the people who are more we always like lovingly and jokingly refer to it as like emotionally robotic, mm-hmm. meaning that you're just, you know, some people I think by personality are not as emotive as sure. others for sure. Sometimes I know like I'm not, not everyone ac- has to cry at the announcements. Yeah. Not everybody okay. does that. Yeah, yeah. Some, some people because of just where they're at in their own healing journey are more emotionally repressed. Some people that might, you know, live somewhere on the uh, autism spectrum, like may not have the same degree of, I don't even know what to call it, I guess. This is not my area of expertise, but like emotional uh, connection or attachment or expression sure. or whatever those, yeah. those things might be, whatever the right way is, please don't anyone be offended by that. But just my point is to say that there is a, a variety of um, experiences emotionally that people have. I would say sure. at Ridgeline, it's what's probably more evident is if you are more repressed or mm-hmm. disconnected from your inner world because we have worked to normalize this. Yeah. And we've talked very openly about, you know, everyone struggles. Everyone has a hard time. We constantly are pointing to expressions of all emotion in scripture that are Mm -hmm. all there in an attempt to just make this normal for people so that you don't like, like one of the things that like, like someone being called, this used to be a really derogatory thing that was said in general, but specifically of women. One of the things that was always said is like, Oh, well, women are so emotional, Mm -hmm. which is, asinine oh wait to, what no you're going the wrong way oh yeah yeah, yeah, just yeah, to yeah. Be, i know oh, gosh listen that's coming from me <laughs> the one who does cry mm-hmm. constantly yeah um and and so like i no one would i mean i'm for sure for sure a guest could walk in and be like these people are really emotional yeah <laughs> and the tr- truth is like that is something that we have worked to cultivate 
Like, mm-hmm. and we say all the time, it's okay to not be okay. Sure. And we have seen that really take root and, um, and people are okay being emotional, whatever that looks like for them, totally. whatever stage they're at in their own journey. Um, and we've just really tried to make that okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think the next thing is validating, uh, getting help publicly and privately. Uh, so, you know, encouraging it, like you said, from the pulpit, uh, be quick to refer in private, uh, but just being, um, being, recognizing that that's a great uh, resource to pull on. It's mm-hmm. a lever to pull. It's not, I think, uh, too often, even in churches that are not, you know, there are churches out there that believe that anything outside of like reading your Bible and praying hard is not the right way to go about this. Mm-hmm. Um so, so even the churches that aren't like that, but are like, oh, okay, that's fine. It seems to be the very last thing. Mm-hmm. It's like the, it's like on the way back shelf, it's super dusty. And when all else has failed and all other tricks and uh, have yeah. been exhausted, then we grab that one and we're like, well, yeah. you might need to see a thing. You're so broken. Yeah. This is probably Whoa. the thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's just obviously unhelpful. Right. <clears throat> I would say, you know, Uh, one point on this would be, I think that there is a tendency at times with pastors to, um, what's the right way to state this, to over assume their ability and responsibility in helping people. Absolutely. I think that, I mean, various pastors based on training and makeup and their own work that they've done might have varying levels of ability to help people in these things. Um, but in general, it is very important that pastors understand that they are not therapists. Absolutely. And if you don't have training in it, you're not even technically like a biblical counselor. Right. You have a particular area of expertise and that's okay. Like this weird thing where pastors now have to be experts on everything. Mm. You have to be an expert on politics and an expert on finance and an expert on relationship and an expert on mental health. And the truth is like, you're supposed to be able to help people have a relationship with God. That's supposed to be your area of expertise. Totally. So if you can't do that, you should find a new job. Yeah. But if you are a pastor who doesn't have any experience with counseling and therapy, then by all means, please find someone in your community to be able to refer. And if we found someone in Salt Lake City, Utah, (laughs) you sure as hell can find someone wherever it is that you are. Totally. Because it's important for pastors to remember, uh, like, there are just some of those professions out there that everyone thinks they can do. Like, Mm -hmm. so for example, uh, it it must be interesting to be like a vocational, like, painter, Mm -hmm. not like an artist painter, but like just (laughs) painting walls painter. Like the trade of painting. Yeah, because yeah. everyone feels like I can go to Home Depot, mm-hmm. buy the supplies, buy the paint, and it's myself. fine. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you, <laughs> lots like of trash. people's houses look terrible. <laughs> but you can tell when you go into somewhere. Yeah. Where the, and, and listen, I think the reason painters charge so much is because they're so irritated at how many people pretend to do their mm-hmm. job. And I think that, but, but worst case in that case, you have some ugly walls. In this case, worst case, you damage someone in a in a way Further. that could be irreparable, yeah. uh, or take a lot of years to like work back from. Mm-hmm. And so it's just important, like you you don't have to be the savior, you don't have to be everything to everyone. And so know your limits and know when someone comes to you as sits down across from you and brings it to you, mm-hmm. and like your sole job in that. A situation is to like refer, to mm-hmm. pray for them, mm-hmm. to give them a hug and to follow up and make sure that they've made an appointment. Yeah. I'm always a little concerned that 
like, cause we do Q and A at our church that I start to sound like a broken record because the number of times <laughs> when a question will come in and it's like, what do I do if I'm feeling stuck in, you know, X, Y, or Z? And my answer is almost always, and I do think this is an important, I, I, my conviction is that by and large, when we are stuck, you mm-hmm. need a guide. Like yeah. guide is the language that I use. Yep. And I think that there are a lot of different kinds of guides. Yeah. The, the way in which you are stuck determines the type of guide that you need. Totally. But by and large, you're probably going to need a guide. Yeah. And so over and over in Q&A, my answer, like nine times out of 10 on these things is like, well, you probably need to get a therapist, yeah. a counselor, or a spiritual director, or come meet with me to be able to help through these things. I had, I mean, I even had a question, I don't know if you remember this, I think you were there a few weeks ago, or a question came in, and it was like, you know, here's my situation, what do I need to do? Do I just get therapy? Because <laughs> they knew that that was sure. going to be part of the answer, and... It was. Yeah. And I think it's things like that that validate the importance of getting help. So I think whether that happens, you know, privately in conversation or from the front, both need to be happening over and over. Right. And I just feel like um, that's not, it's not just like we're the therapy church, which I'm fine being known as that. Mm -hmm. But it is truthfully like, so if somebody came up to you and was like, oh man, my toilet's broken, you would be like, oh, well, get a plumber. Or if somebody came up to you and was like, oh man, my car is broken, you'd be like, oh, you should find a mechanic. So when people come and are like, they have some emotional stuff, we're just referring Mm -hmm. the people who have paid lots of money to Mm -hmm. go to school to, Mm -hmm. to... uh, learn how to do this, to mm-hmm. be an expert in this area, to be able to help. And I just, I don't understand. Like mm-hmm. you don't like call a plumber and have everyone be like, what a weirdo. You called a right. plumber to fix your toilet. Right. Listen, no one wants to fix it. Even if it's your own toilet, yeah. I'm the only one who uses my toilet. I don't want to fix it. Right. <laughs> I would rather somebody else fix it. In the same way, like I just don't understand why there's that problem. Mm-hmm. And I think the more that, you know, with all of these points that we can be people who are like, Hey, and it's okay. Yeah. Just, just like you would call any of these other things, you call the right person for the right job and I'm not the right person for the right job. Yeah. I think one of the, the most important ways that we have to continually validate this is to make like, whether we, whether you prefer like emotional health, mental health, whatever, but to make it a health issue. Yeah. That, that I feel like is where there's this false dichotomy between the two. Like, so we have a, a person in our church who, has had to like had to seek some more um, clinical help mm-hmm. recently. Yeah. And they were feeling a degree of shame about that embarrassment. Like, I can't believe I'm back in was the language like yeah. back in this place where I have to do this again. Yep. And the way that I tried to validate the decision that they'd made was to say like, if you like, think about it like cancer. Sure. If you had like, oftentimes people get cancer, they get treatment, it goes into remission Mm -hmm. and then you're constantly having to get tested and sometimes it comes back. And so you have to get treatment again. Totally. That I'm aware of. I've never heard anyone in that situation speak with some degree of shame when they have to go back for like a second round. Or anyone else be like, (laughs) you're getting chemo again. Right. Like what did you do wrong that brought your cancer back? Nothing. It's a health issue. Yeah. And there are things in our like physical health and in our emotional health that we need to do to move toward health. But some like we live in a broken world. We are broken people. Our bodies, our minds, and our hearts are all broken. So this stuff happens and we have to work to continue to combat that false dichotomy as if mental and emotional health are different than any other physical health issue. Absolutely. So lastly, 
this is something that we have, uh, that we continue to try to do, but, but I would just state it as celebrate the courage to get help mm. as a culture. If you think about the people that we are prone to celebrate, it tends to be strong, successful people. Yeah. And what we don't do is we, we, we tend to not celebrate like people who are broken. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're all broken. Yeah. And when the only thing that you do, and I think this is especially true in the church, is to celebrate people who, from the outside looking in, are awesome, mm-hmm. then it just sends people's struggles underground. Yep. And they're not going to want to be open about those things. And so we have tried to, um, both to people um, like as in it, like when someone, anytime someone comes to me and they tell me that, uh, they're getting, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> For those, you can't see this, but Tyler just hit his toe so <laughs> on a coffee on table. table. So hard. The he's, number of he's trying not to cry internally <laughs> happening. Wow. Okay. okay. Coming Sorry. back, coming back. Right, no, you're right. okay. I just Whew. like, I felt like Might I saw, broke my toe. saw tears it was that hard, but yeah. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, whenever I hear some, like when someone comes to me on Sunday morning and they say, Hey, I'm going to therapy this week, or mm-hmm. someone texts me about that. Number one, I am genuinely elated yeah. that they would, that they would have the courage to do that. Cause I know sure. firsthand how scary it is to take that step and how uncomfortable it is and how much strength it takes to keep going back. And so I try to celebrate that with people privately, but even publicly, like where we can, we want to do that. And we've mentioned this before, but we had a time where, you know, our worship director, Shanna made a, a decision that she needed to get, um, some more intensive treatment. Yeah. And we, you know, I talked to her about it beforehand and we asked her permission and whether or not this would be something that would be an encouragement to her. But we announced that on a Sunday morning because yeah. she's a very visible person and she was yeah. not going to be around for a while. Yeah. And so we announced that and praised the courage to take this step and then got the added benefit for us as, as a church, but for her personally, to really be able to surround her, our entire church, and pray over this journey that sure. she was going to take. And I remember telling her, thanking her, that that was probably one of, if not the most significant deposit and investment in our church toward it's like making this a place where it's okay to not be okay. Totally. And uh, that was amazing. And like, I was there for it and I'm so thankful for it. And not everyone has to be in that place either. Mm -mm. Like for some people, like just making the decision privately and even Shanna, like Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be in that situation for everything she experiences. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. like we all are in different seasons and different places and have different amounts of courage. And the, the thing that's so important about this is that you take that step and that you go and, and yes, there's going to be times when you can help others and there's going to be times when you can't, and there's going to be times when you can talk about it Mm -hmm. and there's going to be times when you can't. And the big thing is that you like take a step. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do not, I would say what will help you with this is like, just don't, don't, don't ever underestimate how, how big of a deal it is for someone to be willing to ask for help. Oh, like man. I met with someone last week and, uh, it was probably the second time I've ever met with them. They've been around with us for a little while and they were just saying like, even, even in college person walked in just to back up person walked in. I said, Hey, how you doing? And they said, Oh, I'm good. 
And then as soon as that sentence was done, burst into tears mm. and started to say like, I'm so anxious to be here and to mm. be talking. Sure. And then started to explain like even in college or in high school, when teachers made themselves accessible to help, they just didn't, they didn't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. So it was a huge deal. Like, I don't care how accessible you feel like you are, how kind and mm -hmm. compassionate, just someone's willingness to step into the open to any degree requires so much courage that every time that we see that and identify that and we can, I really, really think it's powerful to celebrate that. Absolutely. All right. We are uh, almost at the 30 minute mark. All right. We're staying pretty true. We're doing I a like good it. job. Keeping yeah. it shorter. Hopefully that was helpful. I think next week we are going to talk about um, how how much of our work as pastors and spiritual leaders is really bound up in helping people learn to be emotional, emotionally healthy. Mm, mm. And we'll talk about the integration of our emotional health and our spiritual health. So really looking forward to talk about that. But as always, thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you could leave a review wherever you listen, that would be a huge help to us. Mm -hmm. But in the, uh, the meantime, we want to say thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to uh, having you back with us next week. What do you got for us? You got some weird out you're going to say? No. No? Nothing today, huh? Mm -mm. Is it because your toe hurts? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> do you need a minute? <laughs>